I'm Michael Hogan. You're listening to the Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. <laughs> Previously on the Galactica Quorum. They're calling it The Plan. Just by the title, it sounds like they're going to attempt to go back and rewrite history a bit to say, okay, this is why this happened. So it's going to be a whole episode of previously ons that have existed we just didn't see? Where is Simon? Why did they never develop this one character? This idea that the Cylons have a plan, and you didn't know if they were involved in a grand plot to manipulate humans to perform some other action... No mention whatsoever of Hera. The ending is, it's the dessert. There is no show that won't be improved with (laughs) nakedness. Hello, welcome to the Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. It's a fracking podcast about Battlestar Galactica and soon to be Caprica. This is show 83. I'm Brian and joining me today is... Burn. And Jesse. And Burn, you've been with us before. You are out in Oakland. I am indeed. Oakland, California. And Jesse, where, where are you from? Dallas, Texas. Good to have you with us. You've been on our podcast many times as a contributor to voicemails and emails, and um, you always bring a unique insight, often contradictory to what I think, but uh, I think that's healthy. So welcome aboard. Thank you, sir. I'm honored to be here. You can visit our website at galacticacorum.com, and our email is gquorum at gmail.com. That's spelled G-Q-U-O-R-U-M. We have a voicemail. That's 301-358-5175. Follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter name is Galactica Quorum. Before we get to our Battlestar news, I have a special announcement, and that is that the Galactica Quorum is expanding. We are launching a new podcast that is called The Geek Quorum. (gasps) Yes, it is going to be a pretty much an extension of what Galactica Quorum is. Not much is going to change. It's going to be a lot of the same folks. The only content that's going to be different is that it's going to be focusing on stuff besides Battlestar Galactica and Caprica. So in a way, it's going to allow us to talk about a lot of the stuff that we we would have talked about it in Galactica, but we just didn't feel it would fit quite in. So it's going to be sci-fi movies, sci-fi TV shows, games, pretty much the gamut of stuff. It's going to be kind of like Galactica Quorum in the off-season. Right. Like how we did a lot of shows for like a year and a half. It's going to be <laughs> like that, but on a regular basis. And we're going to be able to cover a lot of other material. I will have to update my RSS feed accordingly. Yes. You can visit the website for that and find us on iTunes. The name of the podcast, again, is Geek Quorum. That is also the name of the website, geekquorum.com. I kept things simple. The email and the voicemail will be the same. And to kick things off, we are going to have a special new contest that will be celebrating the launch of the new podcast. And that is another copy of the BSG downloaded book. This one is very special because it is signed by Richard Hatch. He signed it for us at our Dragon Con live show, and I will be giving that away. Details will be found on the Geek Quorum podcast. See how I did that? I'm making you go and subscribe that way. Now that's a tease. That That is is a a nice tease. (laughs) Clever. Okay, since our last podcasts, what has happened in the Battlestar world? The plan came out on DVD in October. They started running some promos for Caprica, which begins very soon as we record this. In January 2010. And I think every member of the cast has shown up on another TV show. Yes, mostly Dollhouse. Yeah, if I was better prepared, I would have a list of that ready to go. 
Right. But I mean, they have been everywhere. Since I haven't spoken to some of you since the finale, which God was quite some time ago, specifically Burn, because uh, you had a child. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I really wanted to get your impression about some of how you felt the show wrapped up, about the finale, specifically because one of the things that you first talked with us about, which I found really intriguing, was you always had this concept of characters having a destiny. I always found that to be intriguing and something that I felt they would possibly have some sort of credence towards to have the show wrap up. It seemed like it made a lot of sense. So my question to you, that they succeeded in that? Were you satisfied in that? What did you think? One of the hardest things to do after so many months is to actually recall how I felt. Because after, after so long, I have to say, the finale really did leave a sour taste in my mouth. And the longer and the more distance that was put between me and it. It made more of the show forgettable to me in a very sad and somewhat tragic way. My impression of the show, I will come back to the question, I promise, but my impression of, of the ending at first was elation. Like I really enjoyed watching the show, but of course, I've, like any fan, I've watched it many times since, and the more times I watch it, the more critical of an eye I give it, the less I like it. The ending is so important because... It really is. It's the dessert. I mean, if you can, you can have a great meal, and if the dessert is shit, like all you're going to remember is a shitty dessert. <laughs> and I kind of feel like that was the way it was going. It was, but it was even more deceptive because I felt to really beat that uh, metaphor into the ground. Like I felt the first couple bites of that last episode were really good, and then all of a sudden, critically speaking, uh, it just all fell apart. And it makes you, in those last minutes the time you really start to reflect upon your experience leading up to that, if it doesn't really hold water, if it's really weak, the fabric of the rest of the show starts to untangle a little bit. And that's what I felt happened. As far as whether they fulfilled my expectations as, with regards to destiny, I don't think so. I don't personally feel satisfied. I think um, it can all be summed up in Starbuck. Right. She has a destiny... And yet, and for any character, the one character for which destiny is the single most important thing, you're left with nothing. And while it doesn't, particularly from a story standpoint, it didn't bother me that she just disappeared of all the things that kind of happened in that episode. The fact that she just disappeared, I'm actually quite satisfied with from a story perspective. But from a being satisfied with regards to truly understanding destiny and the role destiny played within the show, no, that was completely dissatisfying and somewhat disappointing hmm. that was a long-winded answer to um <laughs> to that i think you made a really good point about how the ending's so important now i personally was happy with the ending if i take it apart and spend a lot of time researching it and time dissecting it there's certain things i agree didn't work but i tend to be more emotional and at the end of the episode i was happy and so i keep that feeling but there's other shows, like I hated the way Quantum Leap ended. I hated the way other shows have ended. And that has tainted my feeling about the whole series. So I certainly agree with you from that perspective. If it ends sour, it can destroy the whole viewing perception. Now, if I recall, you felt that the Quantum Leap ending, that one, I remember an email from you that said that you felt, or a voicemail that said that you felt that was a downer ending. You hadn't indicated that you felt it had been a unsatisfactory ending. So you're saying that 
it not only was a downer for you, it was also unsatisfactory. Was it the fact that it was a downer that made it unsatisfactory or was and there, and there was no resolution, you know, they, they end with Sam Beckett never leaped home. There was never an ending that he would spend the rest of his eternity leaping from one situation to another. And we just had off on a very quick tangent, but it's apical. I'd never watched Doctor Who in any form at all. And some friends of mine convinced me. So over the past three months, I have mainlined the latest version with Russell T. Davies. And so I've gone through all these Doctor Who DVDs and finally it ended last weekend. And it was a, I had this incredible sadness that the doctor, this version of the doctor was moving on, yet it was a good ending. So I'm okay with a sad ending if it's well done. Mm-hmm. Just Quantum Leap every, left everything kind of unfinished, and so I was unhappy with that. Right. I believe that at some point during the Battlestar's waning episodes, we all felt that they, were, they were leading up to something very depressing and sad. I would have been okay with that, and I would have been okay with a happy ending as well. I think the thing that, I guess, bothered me was just a lot of the story elements. Not that they were not resolved to the, my satisfaction, it's just that they were not resolved logically. And not that it has to be explained in terms of something that works in terms of science, the theological or deity aspect of it, that doesn't bother me as much as the fact that it seemed like it was a cheap... It was rushed. Rushed. And that's what bothers me about Starbuck. It's interesting for you, Byrne, to say that her disappearing didn't bother you very much, whereas the Destiny thing did. For me, it was almost the opposite. I can accept some other things, but her just poofing away... You're going to get me all riled up because, see, when you talk about logic kind of falling apart, I don't know if you've heard or watched the amazing 70-minute review of Phantom Menace, where he just tears it apart. He takes every line of dialogue practically in that movie and points out every inaccuracy, every discontinuity that every line introduces to every line that preceded it. I mean, it's brilliantly done. And I felt like the last hour of Battlestar had a similar ilk to it. There was such care taken with every previous episode to making everything really tight. Editing was tight, story was tight, continuity was tight. I felt everything worked. There are very few episodes I can point to where I can say that the continuity of the character was broken, the continuity and the logic of the story, and the perhaps more than anything, the believability of it all, which is, I think, the most impressive achievement of Battlestar is the believability of it, especially considering that it takes place in space. It all fell apart for me, and it's like, I don't want to dissect it again, because there have been enough podcasts and time spent to that. But, you know, this is a fleet that mutinied how many times? Because they couldn't agree over taste great, less filling? Like, they couldn't (laughs) agree on simple things, but they'll all agree on sending a fleet into the sun. It just didn't fit. It wasn't as tight as it was, and it if that's the last note that's what you're going to end on. That's just really sad. I'm just most curious how that happened. I want Ron Moore to release the podcast from the writer's room of the finale. I want to get inside their heads and understand what were the challenges they were struggling with. Right. To build on what Byrne said, as I said, emotionally, I was happy with it. But when I start thinking about it, and one of these things I blame on you, Brian. Oh, no. You know, this is a good thing, and it's that it's bad, is you brought up the fact that there were several episodes, and one specifically, where despite Adama and Apollo's strained relationship, he makes that quote, 
if you were the one lost, we'd never stop looking. Right. And that's a powerful moment. And then we're supposed to believe that in this new world that has no way to travel anymore, that Adama is going to abandon his son and any future grandchildren. And because he's so devastated that his love died, which we all knew was going to die, that just doesn't logically make sense. And when you think of it that way, you go, wait a minute, did they not even look at the previous episodes to remind themselves of some of these emotional attachments? And it's almost like they decided to have this whole, we're going to stop the cycle, we're going to abandon technology, just to try to explain why they have certain words that were similar to ours, why they wore ties. They had explained all the time in this series that, well, at the end, you'll understand why there's so many similarities to current Earth. And I didn't need that explained because I realized why it is, because in reality, it's a show being filmed on real Earth. I mean, in fact, one of the things that Ron Moore talks about in his podcast is you can make something look so futuristic that it actually brings you out of the scene. And a salt shaker should look like a salt shaker, you know? And so they have to go this elaborate reason that they were in our DNA in the past is the reason why there were so many Jimi Hendrix fans. (laughs) It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, there were certain decisions that were made which just completely baffle me. One is the time they get back to. I think the idea that the writers were dealing with of actually having Battlestar break into orbit of Earth and its ancient Earth, I think is a really good twist. They made a choice, though, about what time period they came back to, and I don't understand why they went back to pre-Homo sapien man. Yeah. The only logical reason I can think of is to fulfill some desire to fit the whole DNA thing, which, again, doesn't really hold water. It would be more interesting to have them come back and essentially parallel 2001 and the great obelisks that would appear as kind of turning points in human evolution or evolution on Earth and have uh, the different colonies and dispatchers, dispatchments of humans from Battlestar settle in Egypt and in Mesoamerica and in South America, essentially saying that the great civilizations of our past, the Greeks, the Egyptians, the Aztecs, the Incans, the Mayans, the Celtics, and the Vikings, and so on and so forth, that all of these were influenced and informed by space. I mean, that ties into the mythology we have of the Egyptians and the great kind of internal debate among kind of fringe science enthusiasts, where the Egyptians were somehow helped by extraterrestrials. I love, I would have much preferred that direction. And you could explain why that technology had gone away is that because they were on this new planet, they did not have the resources or the technology to keep it going. And so that over the hundreds and thousands of years, that ability had been lost. And that, yes, that would have made a lot of sense. It would have worked well. And it would have completely have supported and bring credulity to Indiana Jones 4, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's... if. There we go. It all comes back to George Lucas somehow. 
I don't know if I was on board with them having the uh, group arrive on the ancient Earth. I think why they did it that way, more than just them being the seeds of another civilization, was simply the fact that it allowed them to have a coda to the big escape, where all the characters had a place to have their goodbyes and their final notes, basically. So after the big battle, everyone departs Galactica, and they can have nice, calm scenes on a savanna somewhere. If it had been some other place, some other era of Earth, it would have been storytelling-wise very hard to wrap up characters at the same time they're trying to meet and deal with a new civilization or you know have some sort of communication. So it almost seemed like that was the only real way to go in terms of being able to, let's not start up this whole new thing, let's wrap up what we have. That's fair. I think a lot can happen at a distance. It was sad that it's almost like the final season peaked with the mutiny storyline. I mean, I can remember listening to the podcast and getting onto the forum and just everyone was talking about how great those episodes were. Just the tension and the, and the drama and everything going on. And then it kind of drifted, drifted, drifted. And then we had the big battle scene and then we kind of drifted off again. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of the consensus of the people that I know felt that the mutiny was almost the climax of the season. And after that, it was a long, drawn-out series of episodes. And this isn't new. We've kind of talked about it before. But the last couple episodes leading up to the finale really just took a long time. And the one that kind of bugs me the most is the Starbuck episode, where her father is revealed, sort of. Right. To, to this day, do I, why have that episode if ultimately we're being told in the very finale that she's entirely something else? Yeah, it's just very bizarre. So, kind of changing, do we think anyone's going to care about Caprica? Well, that was my next topic, because the plan came out, and before it came out, I think there was still some people who were going to give Caprica the benefit of the doubt, perhaps. Mm -hmm. I, I guess when the plan came out, the overall response that I've heard, and my personal opinion of it, was not too favorable. And... There is almost a, it's very strange, this phenomenon. There's almost now, I sense, a hope for Ron Moore to fail. I have seen people posting online that have proclaimed that they want whatever show he's involved with just to be a failure. They have no intention of watching it. It's funny how things can turn so quickly. I don't feel that way at all. I mean, I have not forgotten that there were some really great hours of television from the Ron Moore's creative team. I'm just worried that with Caprica, we've already seen ultimately what happens. And so I don't know if they're going to be able to captivate me enough. Now, if they're not focusing on just how the Cylons came, but more life on the colonies and that political intrigue and stuff, that might be enough. I know that I personally was happy with the plan because I got to spend some more time with characters that I cared about. Someone said it was a collection of deleted scenes. I think it was a little better than that. (laughs) And I liked the idea that the two Cavils were each on their own journey. And one of them made the decision that no matter what we do, they're not going to love us. You know, and that's the one they ended up getting killed. I mean, I thought their parallel stories were pretty interesting, but it certainly wasn't a great movie. 
Yeah, if we're going to do the plan right now, I'm going to say the same thing. I enjoyed, like, so many things, like Avatar, like the plan, like the finale, even for all my criticisms. I enjoy watching them. I really enjoy watching them. I get swe- I am one to get easily swept away in the story, in the moment. The plan, at the end of the day, does not, it doesn't move the ball forward at all. It doesn't actually make me reflect upon the show that much differently and make me conclude anything differently. Kind of like a webisode. You might even call this a really well-done webisode in that respect. Right. Which perhaps is the worst compliment I could possibly pay it. But that's my biggest criticism, is that it doesn't change anything. What I want something to do is make me want to re-watch the show and make me reflect upon the show differently. And I don't think it really achieved that. It filled in some gaps. It provided greater continuity and backstory to how, say, Boomer was able to be a sleeper agent, if you believe in magical elephants. (laughs) I liked some of those details that it was able to kind of pepper into the story. I found certain scenes really compelling and really moving. I found the, the destruction sequence and the attack sequence. Specifically, the moment where the pyramid team is watching the bombs go off in the distance, and they're just all speechless. That was like this one moment in the entire show where I was kind of forced to reflect myself. How would I deal with such a situation? All right. It's funny, that particular moment, I remember that too. I actually think they did something similar in one of the webisodes. So it was the Razor episode as well, but uh, it was when young Adama... Husker was flying his Viper in the last battle, and the Columbia Battlestar was destroyed. The CGI was terrific, and the ship starts breaking up, and you hear over the radio that all the pilots are going, oh my god, the Columbia, it's gone, it's gone. And his reaction, and just all the, the screams and the, the people over the voice communication, that, I really felt the loss of that huge capital ship. And it was just a webisode, like I said, but I felt that was done really well. And this one, it's the same thing. I mean, you feel their sense of loss and just hopelessness. I guess my main problem with any kind of major disaster type of scenario that is usually the prelude to getting onto the story, and it's the same thing with Razor. One of the big things with Razor was there was that big dry dock sequence where the Asylums attack. And yep, it was really cool. CGI was awesome. But ultimately, what made it cool was just that there was a lot of destruction, you knew it was coming, and there was a huge sense of loss, which was bottled into that act. And after that, from there, the balloon was just, it was, what else was there after that? Now, what I thought on Razor, Razor made me want to rewatch the episodes that dealt with the Pegasus again. Nothing about the plan made me want to see any of the early first few seasons. And that, if you're going to do that kind of movie, I think you needed to do that. Right. Yeah, I'm totally on board with that. Absolutely. We talked about, you know, what people thought about the finale and whether they were psyched about the Caprica coming up and how they were disillusioned with the finale. And I think because the perception is that they basically took a lot of clips of the old shows together and they glued them together and, yeah, they put a little effort into it. But people could have accepted that. I think the problem was... The title of the movie and the premise that you were expecting was you were going to find out the plan. When you find out, ultimately, that the plan was, are you ready? Kill all the humans. That's it. Yeah. That's that's the plan. I mean, it, (laughs) uh, it ultimately feels so empty. And it's just like the Starbuck and all those other things that we felt was like, where's the effort? 
there's so many different things you could have come up with that people would have been happy with. And this is the opening for the show for how many seasons did they Pretty lead with the whole right. forever and dot 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 they have a plan. If that's the case, right? The plan terminates with the end of the miniseries when the cows kind of get sucked into space. Like, yes, oh, I suppose, you know, the plan is always to kill all the humans, and that's what, you know, they're hell-bent on doing. But at some point, the plan failed. Right. The plan failed. So the plan is over. Everything else is just cleanup work, as, as what Cavill said. So the plan is not this kind of perpetual arc that's always in motion that you don't fully understand or have all of the details to. I mean... What I loved about that opening sequence is it reminds you every single time that there's something incredibly sinister happening in the background that you don't know about. Right. That's why I signed on to the show. One of the reasons I signed on was that I felt like this isn't just a show where every episode they will escape, something will happen. You know, they're still trying to find Earth, but there's a sub thread of there being the sinister plan that makes me want to know what it is and why it affects the characters that I care about. Yeah. And to find out that it really didn't matter. And this is interesting because there was actually Ron Moore addressed this. It's in a response to the question about the writers didn't really have a plan. Ron Moore's response was, and this is, again, putting, and they have a plan in the opening credits. Ron Moore says, quote, I never liked it and regret ever acquiescing to it. However, we did finally answer it with the plan movie. And so now my conscience can be clear. I call huge bullshit on that. Absolutely. I don't know if either one of you have ever watched Veronica Mars, but the first season of Veronica Mars is one long mystery. And at the end of the season, they reveal a killer. And when you look at it, you go, hey, all the clues were there from the beginning. If you had really played fair and been a good detective, you could have figured out who the murderer was. So that's what I'm expecting from the plan. There should be these clues that have been given on and that they've all been kind of put together. And now we're going to show it to you. It's like when you've watched, um, you it's know, like the last five minutes. It's like the last five minutes of any Sherlock Holmes. Exactly. Right. Book it's like, there you go. Oh, here it is. Or the sixth sense. Oh my goodness. I need to rewatch this movie because a big reveal has happened. And now I'm going to watch this movie a totally different way. Right. And again, they had all the pieces there for them to assemble something. Even if they had gone back and like created some new scenes we hadn't seen before, which kind of cheated a little bit. And we're like, oh, we didn't really see that before, but okay. That does answer the question. That would have been much more fulfilling than them just pulling this out of the air. And the plan was nothing more than an, really an, a tactic. It wasn't, yeah. uh, I mean, it didn't make any sense. It reminds right. me of, there was a, on The Office not too long ago, there was uh, an episode where they go to the stockholders meeting and stockholders tell their employees that they have a plan. And it turns out. What are we supposed to tell them now? Okay, you've dug us quite a hole. We tell them the plan, right? There is no plan. <laughs> that's exactly how I felt. <laughs> the writers in the room, they're going, there is no plan. You've dug us quite a hole. <laughs> Calling bullshit on Ron Moore, totally in agreement. I mean, you should have just left it, right? And just left that big unanswered question. Because right. then you could actually rewatch it and enjoy a debate long beyond the life of the program of what was really the plan. I mean, when you talk about signing on the show for that mystery, for knowing that something sinister was happening, that's exactly what hooked me. It's what monopolized every lunchtime conversation on the Monday at work, was you question every character 
You question, especially after Boomer turns at the end of season one, and you realize that anyone could literally be a Cylon that could just turn on at any moment. You look at every character with doubt, and you question every action. And when you talk about free will, because a great philosophical question the show asks is about, I think, the kind of age-old science fiction question about free will. Mm -hmm. It's like, do Cylons have free will? Boomer kind of shows two sides of the same coin, that on one hand, she doesn't have free will. You know, she did ultimately fulfill some programming, if you will. But on the other hand, she did ultimately choose an allegiance to the colonials. I loved that struggle. I loved the philosophical idea that free will was something that you had to conquer. I think part of the animosity toward Ron Moore is that kind of answer, where it's like, it's the same thing where people are grabbing onto this statement of his about the whole chasing the pigeon thing, or the pigeon in the room idea that he wrote up on the board. I mean, people, they hear that and they're like, what? Are you serious? John Stewart interviewed George Lucas last night, and John Stewart had this great little bit where he was essentially cornering Lucas in a mock seriously. It's like, how do you deal with the duality of your fan base? One being incredibly reverent, and the others feeling now incredibly betrayed by the prequels. How do you deal with that? And his answer has, I think, evolved out of a sense of kind of giving up, trying to answer the question and trying to justify what is in essence his life, which is, it's just fiction. It's like this total throwaway answer to what was his life work. Mm -hmm. It's just incredibly dissatisfying. It's like, that's your answer? Like, you'd completely, I'm going to get, see, now here I go, I'm going to get, I'm going to get but up you, on Star yeah, Wars. Because you can't have it both ways. You can't. No say that what it means on a certain level and what levels of artistry and symbolism you've put into it and then just turn around and say but it's all just make-believe you could, the answer could be anything years ago they talked about when muhammad ali was at the end of his career i remember a sportscaster saying and we really should think of this as the ali not as the fighter he's fighting for paychecks at this point and we should not confuse that with Ali, the great boxer. And you just want to think, did Ron Moore and the creative team, you know, sci-fi channels, like, we want more, not to use the pun. <laughs> and so, you know, like, okay, well, good. Well, this will give Eddie a chance to direct and Grace Park gets some more money and we, you know, we, we can have the cast and we can do this. And I've always wanted to work a little bit more with Dean Stockwell. And so you put it together and it's, it's for the money. You know, they're fighting for the money. They're not fighting for the title anymore. And you know what? I like money too. And, and I guess I just expect more from something that was so beautiful at one point that was so special. And then you just do a movie because, hey, we can do a quick DVD movie and make a few bucks for Universal. Actually, let me play a voicemail we have from Todd about his thoughts on the plan. Hi, folks. How's everything going? This is Todd, just calling in to give my uh, two cents on the plan. Aside from uh, getting a little bit of a BSG fix, I wasn't too impressed. You know, for something that for seasons we were told at the beginning of every episode, there's many copies and they have a plan. The only plan I got was kill humans, which to me is more of a goal than a plan. But anyway, you know, it really didn't seem to go anywhere. Didn't reveal anything new, insightful, kind of took us back, you know, maybe revealed some very small points that took place on uh, Caprica, things like that, but that really didn't give us anything more than, like I say, just a little bit of a two-hour fix of BSG for, 
the $17 price of the DVD, I definitely feel was not worth uh, the expenditure. So in the future, I hope if they come out with any products, they uh, put a little more thought into them and, you know, do a little more than just try to get a last little bit of juice out of the set before they tear them down. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. J. Michael Stravinsky did a video release of Untold Tales of the Babylon Universe or something, Lost Tales. I can't remember the exact title, but it was a straight-to-DVD, and he used – it was a two or three episodes, but they were a good story. I felt like, okay, I got a little more Babylon 5. It, it told a good story. You could tell they didn't have a lot of money, but I didn't feel like I was just getting something retread. Right. I had solicited people to send tweets about uh, what they thought of the plan. I got one from Matthew. He wrote, the plan seemed like a long deleted scene, not what I was hoping for. Brad wrote, the plan was a god-awful clip show. I mean, Galactica 1980-level god-awful. There's one who had a positive vibe on it, and that was Robin. She wrote, it was really good. I wish we could have more movies like this, like Destruction of the Original Silent World and The Five's Journey. So now we're not going to get the plan summary? No, you know what? I started to, as I do when I watch these episodes, I was taking notes, and I was like, well, I'll see if I can bring a recap out of it. But I got... You know, about three quarters of the way through, and I just put my pencil down. I was like, I'm done. I, I, there, there was no plot to it. There really was nothing holding it together. It was a scene after a scene after a scene after a scene. The one thing going through it was the Cavils and Cavils' relationship with that boy and the Boomer storyline, sort of. But we knew how that was going to end. Well, we knew how the boy storyline was going to end, too. Yeah, that was pretty <laughs> obvious, too. I, yes. Multiple people have said it felt like a long deleted scene, and that's really what it felt like to me. When you watch the deleted scenes on a DVD, they're thrown out there in various stages of the plot, and you can watch them and see where they would have fit into it. But if you put all those deleted scenes together, they themselves don't make the movie. They don't tell a story themselves. And that's how I kind of felt about this. It's like I see these fragments of other episodes that I had watched and liked, but they don't themselves make a story. I might pull a Dimitri here and say that you might be being too critical. I'll, t- I'll say that what I really enjoyed about the plan was the production. And I don't think it's fair that a production carries a show. I don't, I don't think that's a winning recipe for a great show or a great movie. But I felt as I watched the show, I was constantly wondering, like, how did they execute that? Because they went back, and they weren't going to second unit footage. Like, I don't know where they were getting this footage. They were recreating shots and scenes from previous episodes so perfectly and continuing where, obviously, the camera had previously cut. Right. They were continuing the dialogue. They had captured the scene. They had reshot it so well, and the continuity was so perfect. Especially, like, even that opening sequence, which I'm honestly really glad they kind of went back to, because after the show ended, I started rewatching the series. I didn't complete it by any stretch. But I remember from the miniseries, when Six says goodbye to Baltar in the courtyard, and she turns around and she says, Oh, I'd wonder when you'd get here. And you never see who she's talking to. And so I'm really pleased and satisfied that questions like that were answered. But that scene was so fresh in my mind because I had just watched it prior to seeing the plan. And they executed it so well. There was not a jump or a skip at all. Like, they captured the costume, they captured the makeup, they captured the lighting. felt like they really continued that scene so perfectly. And for that aspect of the show, 
as at least an homage to the special effects people to give them the budget and the ability to do some of the things that they did in that show. Like, I've watched the plan several times. There are certain scenes I really enjoy watching, and I find myself watching the show for those scenes. And most of those scenes have to do with the production and the execution that was done. Yeah, I mean, there's parts of it that I did like. Typical with me, even some of those things bring me to parts that I wish they had done differently, but I can bring those up. I mean, I liked the fact that they finally had Simon characterized. This is something that it's a positive, but on the other hand, it's a negative because for many seasons, I have been saying, why don't we see more of this other Cylon? Cylons are so, the models themselves are so unique. There's a finite number of them. I think not characterizing this one guy for some reason, I don't know, you know, maybe it was they just couldn't get the actor that much. I don't know, but I, I never understood why they couldn't have this one character be more prominent. And so I'm glad they finally got around to having him on. I thought that was great. I agree. And when you think about how much time was spent with that character, I regret they didn't do more characterization of him through the show because I was actually really compelled by his character. I mean, those are some of the scenes I enjoy watching because that's new to me. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you look at how much time they actually spent with him in the plan, it does make me ask the same question. Why didn't they do any more of that during the rest of the show? Because the fact that he is more human... Like, he has right. a wife that he's sensitive, he's empathetic. He has all these great human qualities. It would have been fun to explore that more during the show, um, because it would have been a great contrast to the rest of the Cylon characters. Mm -hmm. Another thing I liked was just the fact that it was a lot of Dean Stockwell. I thought any episode he was ever on, I, I always loved. I thought he was a terrific character, he's a terrific actor. This was him being able to just go crazy with the role. On the downside, it made the character Cavill seem like he was the supreme puppeteer of the entire operation, which kind of goes against what they were talking about with them having to all vote. Part of it also was the fact that a lot of the other characters seemed to become characterized in ways that I didn't expect. Like the six models particularly seemed like they were painted as just being a bunch of bimbos, which we knew they were very sensual. But the way they were portrayed by Cavill, but also the way they were portrayed in the production themselves, was that they didn't have a brain of their own. And we know that not to be true. We know that they're very calculating. Right. But in the plan, I didn't get that feeling at all. I felt like they were just as airheaded as he made them out to be. And so that sort of was discordant to me. Did you get that vibe at all? Yes, and in, in the fact that he, most specifically in that he knew who the final five were. The scene where they're all there, you know, and the two Cavils look at each other like, hey, well, isn't this ironic, was a nice point because you knew at that point we didn't know who the final five were. But I guess they're trying to say he's always known who they were, mm -hmm. and he just didn't tell anyone. But it also, I think, steals something from the show because... The great truth that I found very interesting is that none of the Cylons knew who the Final Five were. And that was fundamentally not true. You know, it was a truth that was being withheld. And it places, as, as Brian, you put it, it places too much power into Cavill's hands. And it doesn't make Cavill look like a model at all. Hmm. Where there is a great collective of Cavils kind of operating out in the Cylon universe. But rather, there are two Cavils. Tons of sixes, tons of fours, tons of fives, whatever. But there's only one Cavill, or two Cavils. That, to me, didn't make sense, that his model was given somehow some kind of special treatment. I didn't particularly appreciate that. One thing I thought was interesting, too, was at the beginning when they're launching their attack, 
one of the sixes says to someone else, indicating that one of the centurions staying nearby, do they realize what we're doing for them? I thought that was an interesting line because she indicated it almost as if they were separate, as if they were Cylons in name only, not actually true brothers and sisters. They were allies almost and not the same. All this time, we've always thought of the skin jobs as Cylons, and they are because that's the uniform they wear. They're Cylons. But if you think about it, the Cylons that they are are from this other Final Five Earth from way back when. In your Brian and Byrne, there was all this discussion about the reason why certain models were numbered a certain way. Then when you think about it, well, shouldn't like the final five have been one through five? Or I guess Cavill should have been one, and then the numbering doesn't make any sense anymore because of how they were created and what they were done. It doesn't, there shouldn't seem to be a numbering or it because it it either be in the order of it was done or for some other reason. Well, the numbering would have well. That's one of those things where I think they just didn't plan ahead far enough. I think the numbering would have worked, except Boomer was an eight. If Boomer right. had been a seven, everything would have been fine. We would have would have probably had an entirely different, as we know it, Battlestar lore. I think the final five would have been completely different. But as it turned out, and we would never would have had this. What was it? Was Daniel the seven? Was that what they ended up saying? Yes. <laughs> Whatever. So. Oh, really? Daniel was seven. Yeah, that's right. right. Because Daniel was seven, Boomer was eight, and the final five don't really don't have models numbers. They are not nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. They are just what they are. Yeah. Again, that's that kind of goes back to my original the thing I was just talking about. The, the final five are not really Cylons at all. They're just these other kind of human, but with Cylon DNA that managed to find ways to replicate themselves that ended up traveling across the galaxy and met this other Cylon race. And they recognized them because, hey, we had some of those kind of like that on our planet. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, hey, you worship one god? Hey, so do we. Speaking of the eight, what did you think of the eight's arc in this episode where we get more of the backstory you mentioned before, the elephant and how she dips in and out of knowing what she's doing and the struggle she has. What were your impressions of that? I was a big fan of that. One of my favorite moments has been the episode where Boomer is saying, I don't want to be a Cylon. She's been resurrected. They're on Caprica and she's like, I want to be with my people. I'm not this. I don't want to be this which gives you the whole other problem of why then did she get corrupted and later got on Cavill's side and stole Hera and all this other stuff. But we won't go there now. So I liked seeing that storyline. I liked seeing the tortured she was feeling and how afraid she was like, oh, my God, what am I doing when I'm passed out and her starting to doubt herself? That was a good story. The whole Sharon arc of whether she had free will to go back to that, but whether she had free will and her whole question of identity was always a very compelling storyline for me. I loved the idea that you always questioned her motives and whether she ultimately could control herself or that ultimately, no matter what she said or did in the present, then in the future, a bit could be switched and she could kill someone. The whole Sharon arc throughout the entire series was really nice. This particular arc in the story I liked even more for some specific lines she had. There's a great line she had about, I like myself more as a human. Like, I like myself more this way than I do as a Cylon. Hmm. 
that makes me reflect upon what Jesse was saying as well, which is her struggle as a Cylon and struggling with that knowledge. I really liked more than anything. It makes me want to re-edit the water episode, episode number two, to include some of the story elements that were in the plan, because it would have made that episode more palatable to me. Because I think water is one of the weaker episodes from the first season, especially after such a strong opening. But I found the backstory that, that was provided through the plan makes the water episode, like I said, more palatable. See, I didn't mind the water episode so much. And the choice they made with Boomer, the way it was revealed how she was an agent, I don't have an issue with it. It's just I had a completely different perception of what I thought it was. And I can kind of convince myself that the way I thought it was was better. And the way I thought it was was that Boomer was Boomer since as long as she can remember. So she went to flight school. She did all this stuff. She had a family. She met people in the academy or whatever. And then ended up on Galactica. And then at some point, there was a signal. And she started to, almost as if someone was having like a epileptic seizure, would wink out. And she would then wake up and be herself again. As we see in the plan, that wasn't it at all. In the plan, we find out that Boomer Sharon was Sharon to begin with and became a boomer. So it makes me wonder which personality was the true one for that particular being. And the distinction is that if she was always that number eight, and it was just that she went in for a procedure right before the assault on the colonies and became boomer, it doesn't seem quite as much of a tenuous hold on her sanity as if, if she had always been Boomer, and suddenly things start to slip away for her. See, I must have completely overlooked that, because you say that, and I completely agree. This comes back to the whole idea of the plan. And one thing that was so compelling to me is that if Boomer was a sleeper agent, then in my mind, I had always assumed, as you did, that she was a seed that was planted decades ago. Right. That this was a plan that was germinating for years and years and years, and that she was carefully groomed and put in a position where she could be on Galactica specifically, and that all of this was carefully crafted, carefully controlled, and that her destiny was to be on that ship. Her destiny was to fulfill some greater purpose. And, yeah, I can see that it kind of screws with the whole kind of concept of there being a plan as well as um, her character arc to begin with and her kind of justification for. And uh, the reason why I think the character arc suffers is because after she gets shot by Callie and dies and is downloaded and she comes back, I would think that if in the plan version where she was the eight for the majority of her existence and then just became boomer for that one mission and she downloaded back, I think if she came back and she woke up, that she would not have had such a shock at what was happening to her. And that's part of why I liked when we first saw the series and we had that episode downloaded and she woke up and we had that one episode where we saw her and we went through with her that experience. Again, if the way I envisioned it, that, that she had been, in her mind, human. And it had just been these little lapses where she had been taken over by the programming. And then to be downloaded and to uh, reemerge from the tub and what a shock that must have been. And then that made her become eventually, you know, the turncoat that she turned out to be. But then she, you know, in the end, she ended up doing the right thing. But Redemption. Um, redemption, uh-huh. uh, the big redemption. But I just wonder about that particular aspect of it. 
No, very good points. Yeah, absolutely. Because you do, if it's a reset when she comes back, it should be, oh, well, okay, that mission's over. Now then I can go back to my normal life. But she never did. She kept all those memories. Right. And didn't they make the point that when you come back, you share all your memories? So once you die in the resurrection ship, every other model shares those memories now. Right. So well, they're at least accessible. Right. Okay, now we must get to the thing that I thought was the most grievous error and affront to the plan, and that is the fact that there is no mention whatsoever of Hera. I thought that was, to say it was ridiculous, a travesty, was understating it. If the writers were truly saying that the human Cylon Shaw was not part of the plan, then they really were making things up as they went along, even worse than I thought they were. Because, again, we go back to the opening credits and that bit at the beginning where they say, and they have a plan. And when they had that title come up, and they have a plan, it was, especially in the first, second seasons, it was usually with accompanying image of Baltar holding with six, the little baby Hera. And that led you to believe that there was something with Hera that was involved. I just find that to be mind-boggling. Perhaps there was another plan. I don't know if this jives with the opening credits, but, you know, we have to admit that, you know, at the end of the day, there are gods at work. Maybe there's a greater plan. Maybe it's there's the Cylon plan, but there's also the plan with a capital P, as in the plan that God has. Well, because you think about it, when they're on Caprica, and the Sharon that becomes Athena Mm -hmm. is running around with Hilo, and the other Cylons are watching, trying to get them to fall in love. Right. So, Byrne, you just watched these episodes again. I mean, that's what sticks out to me, and and it's conspicuously absent from this. I mean, there's no Hilo in this at all, no Sharon, no Athena Sharon. How can they not own up to the fact that they were standing around there, you know, looking down like the gods, pretty much, from Olympus, at the, what they were trying to manipulate to get Elo and Sharon to fall in love and create a child, right? Hera is one of the great letdowns of the series. Right. For that precise reason. I mean, that montage at the beginning cements in every viewer's mind that Six, Baltar, and Hera, and that trinity is essential to something, Right. And of course, Hera does fulfill some destiny, but it is the most disappointing, (laughs) anticlimactic revelation of the entire series. So no, as far as the story is concerned, the plan didn't in and of itself fail. I think the entire series and the writers really failed in fulfilling what could have been perhaps one of the most thought-provoking characters of the entire show. I mean, a character who has no lines, who is at the center of everything, who everyone believes must survive all of this so that she could be something that doesn't even hold water scientifically. Right. Mitochondrial Eve. That's bullshit to me. Absolutely throw up all over my computer. Um, (laughs) Bad. So no, it doesn't strike me as odd. It's disappointing. Yes. The plan could have been an opportunity to fix some of the problems, right? They could have answered things. They could have done things to the story and address certain topics to silence the critics. Well, and I think they feel, I don't know if either one of you watched Larry David on HBO. You know, they had the fake Seinfeld reunion uh, this season, and George kept going, and, oh, here's a chance for us to have a good finale. (laughs) And, you know, Larry David's like, they had a perfectly fine finale. (laughs) You know, this finale was fine. And so I think, 
Ron Moore and David Ackbar are going, oh, it was a perfectly fine finale. There's nothing to be fixed here. Right. There may have been nothing the show could have done. So that's a cop-out for me to say. But the challenge this show faced is it was a standard bearer for science fiction on television. It was setting a new standard for this genre. And it was the first show to break the gender barrier in science fiction in a really, I think, statistically relevant way. It just broke a lot of barriers. And for that reason, expectations were so high. I just wonder if they could ever have been honestly fulfilled with this crowd. And I think it shows in this whole idea of now the thought that people are wanting Ron Moore to fail. That's just like the worst thing that could happen. Because I want more of his stuff on television. I really enjoyed Carnival. I really like DS9. I think he's growing. I think he's one of the few, perhaps, producers on television that's getting better at his craft and getting more power. I would hate to see anything undermine that. Because he's the one person who I think could really ultimately fulfill the dream I have of watching science fiction with my wife. Like, just is not something that happens very often. She's the first person to tune out. Battlestar Galactica, she would actually sit with me on the couch and knit while Battlestar Galactica was on, and when Trisha Helfer was on, she would roll her eyes because she would just think it was some stereotype of, like, doesn't every science fiction show have to have some gorgeous blonde on it? And I would say, (laughs) yes, every science fiction show absolutely has to have a gorgeous blonde on it, but her spine glows, and that's what makes her special. (laughs) But the moment she can watch a science fiction show with me and actually watch it, that's what I hope Ron Moore can kind of do for science fiction. Right. I guess what people are feeling is betrayal because they feel like, I invested a lot into this show as a viewer, and they feel like, in the end, the rug was pulled out from under them, and they had no satisfactory conclusion. And they're like, I don't want that to happen to me again. I cannot be Charlie Brown going to hit the football and it being yanked out again. So rather than that happen, I don't want him involved anymore. You know, I don't want to deal with that. I think they're they're gun-shy. They're scared about the possibility of falling in love with another show and having it as you say, the last bite, having a worm in it and spitting it out and going, ugh, what was that? Because it's a lot to invest. I mean, for us, we talk about the show, we do podcasts about the show. Maybe we're extreme cases, but a lot of people who just watch, even them, they really are attached to the show. And for them, when it is unsatisfactory to the level that they are beyond disappointed, it just speaks to a lot, basically, that they're cautious about anything that has Ron more attached that they watch again. Two quick things about the plan, then we can wrap things up, I guess. One of them is not going to be relevant to what is the aired version. It only appeared on the DVD, and that is... The boobs? The boobs? Not just the boobs, but the schlong. (laughs) I mean, the... Oh, yes, the the, stat. I mean, it was... To say it was gratuitous doesn't cover it. It's so out of character with the rest of the show. I don't understand why they went to such extremes to have nudity in the production. I can understand it in the, well, yeah, but it it just doesn't match up with the rest of the show. It's like you have a painting or a series of paintings by an artist. And like one of them, one portion of it is so out of place from the rest. You wonder if it's a counterfeit because it just doesn't match up. And I understand because it's not on the air that they can throw whatever they want in there. But if you're going to have a certain tone throughout the series, Keep the tone. All right, if you want to have a love scene with the doctor and his wife and you want to let something slip or whatever, fine. If you want to have just something in the background, fine. But it just seems so gratuitous. Like the one that was the most 
was the bartender in that one scene yes. at the beginning. Yes. It was yes. like, what is, this Cap- what is this, Caprica? Come <laughs> yeah. on! I guess I'm just a shallow old man because I was perfectly fine with it. Didn't bother me at all. I, uh, yes, yes, exactly. It was like there is no show that won't be improved with nakedness. <laughs> I agree the- with you there, but still, <laughs> it, it just seemed out of place. Like butter. I don't know if you, Julia and Julia, I just watched that. Like, not everything's better with butter, everything's better with naked breasts. <laughs> Uh, and this is why science fiction has a, such a hard time crossing the gender barrier. The schlong thing, I agree. The gratuity of like having the naked bartender behind the bar, first of all, no one would ever order a drink. Second of all, um, <laughs> that I thought was just bad and in bad taste, quite honestly. The bathroom scene and the schlong, the fact that you see it there all hanging out does take away from, from the moment mm-hmm. in that it is something you never see. Like, it's not something you see on the silver screen, even. To show male genitalia is so taboo in Hollywood and on television, you don't even flirt with it. So for that, it really is distracting. But I like the fact that it was trying to make it so inconsequential to everyone else that, you know, yeah, here are all these people, and they're just all naked with each other. Because I think it was a commentary on gender in the Galactica universe. It was right. it was that everyone is desexualized, that, right. you know... And that's this been done. In, in Starship Troopers, it was that way. Every, all of the soldiers shared a common locker bathroom area. And that would have been fine if they would have been like, all right, some guy walks past and you see his ass or something. Yes. Well, whatever. But I mean, that would have done the same thing. I agree. I agree. I agree. See, what happened is Edward James almost had seen Watchmen and was so impressed by <laughs> how well they converted it from the graphic novel. He said, okay. If they can have big blue weenies, then I've got to have one in mine. <laughs> but it wasn't blue. That's the problem. It was a real weenie. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, though, Brian, because I think it was, at the end of the day, it could have been executed better, and they could have communicated the same thing, I think, more elegantly. All kidding aside, just in case my wife listens to this, I was incredibly offended by the nudity. No, I, I think the shower scene made more sense. And I agree with you as far as if you wanted to show a gender-neutral strip club to show and then have that in the background, I think it would have served their storytelling better versus just having the bartender be naked. And then, like I said, I don't have a problem with the shower scene, I guess, because I actually thought of the Troopers movie when I watched it. Like, yes, this is what we've been seeing off camera anyway. This has always been the way that the barracks have been. The final thing I wanted to bring up, unless you guys had something else about the plan, was just where it ended narratively, and that was pre-New Caprica. For me, a lot of what happens with the Cylons and Cowell particularly, and what they start to do in terms of what they have as a plan, happened with New Caprica. Once we found out that Cavill was the quote-unquote son of the Final Five, molded in the image of Ellen's father, the ooh factor becomes off the charts in light of us knowing that he was screwing her on New Caprica. Right. Them ending it before they get to New Caprica, they conveniently move past that. The same holds true with Hera. With Hera, it became very important when the Deanna character wanted to find Hera and was critical that they scoop her up because Hera was so important. So I felt like that was just very convenient of them to not include that portion of it. 
Obviously, they couldn't have extended the story too far down the line because that would have been just logistically hard to do with all the coverage they would have had to have done. And the story would have been, it already was pretty long as it was. But ending it before New Caprica allowed them to not answer what I thought was some pretty important questions. You know, I think that's a fair criticism, but I did not view it that way. I viewed it as having the two cavils meet each other and having them being executed made a nice ending. It told the end of the story. So I didn't think it was they cut it off there because they didn't want to explore other avenues. I think they ended it there because that made a logical place to end the story. Would you have liked to have seen it? Forgetting the fact that it would probably would have been really hard to, for them to do, but... It would have been a lot longer. Let's pretend that... Let's pretend that they could have done it. They could have done it. Would you have liked to have seen it extend that far? or When would you have liked to... We could almost extend this to a really big hypothetical. Like, what would we like the plan to have been? If I were to structure the show differently, I would have had it in three or five acts, where each act in and of itself had some kind of climax and revelation. And I would have had the five acts spread over time, right? over the length of the entire series, right up until Cavill's death. Right. Maybe explain why he suddenly pulled the trigger on himself when it seemed like yes. he was the last person to ever do that. Yes, thank you. Exactly. So I would have said, like, all right, get some coverage of New Capra, get some coverage of the Cylon Civil War. I would have gone and looked at the plan as it unfolded throughout the entire series, because in theory, the plan was always unfolding. Right. The plan, as a quote-unquote plan and strategy for the Cylons to ultimately fulfilled didn't terminate when the two cavils were airlocked in that respect it did seem premature i don't know how they could have done it i don't know how they could have written it to make that work without feeling really artificial and i don't know what they were really what the genesis of this show was and you know burn and brian if they were trying to make a standalone movie it didn't work anyway so i agree with burn is if you could have had snippets because i would have liked to seen the discussion once they discover the humans are in New Caprica and they make the decision, we're going to occupy and we're going to try to live in peace. I think that would have been an interesting discussion to have seen and seen the debate. We saw a little bit of that later when they made the decision to throw Lucy Lawless away or whatever. I just think that would have been good. I would have liked to have seen that and other scenes all the way through the whole series and like you said, maybe right up until the attack. Right. I totally agree with you. And instead of it being, let's fill in the gaps of the first and second seasons with basically what have mounted to different angles of the same shots. And we wonder yeah. what happened when this character left this one room and ended up in this other room. Now we'll show you what happened in the corridor in between. Instead of that, having acts like Byrne said and ending up at a certain place. And I guess with New Caprica, you bring up a good point, Jesse. There was something that was said by one of the Cylons while they were on New Caprica, where they said something to the effect of, we can't commit more resources here. We're stretched thin as it is, I think was kind mm -hmm. of the line. And at the time, I took that to mean that there was something out in the galaxy that the Cylons were either pursuing or fighting against. That's when I came up with my idea of there being a rogue faction of Cylons that they were battling, which didn't really come out to be true in the, that sense. But it would have been interesting, and I'm always a proponent of this kind of thing. When you have an extra movie that comes along like this, that's sort of an extra, 
I always think the best thing to do is to introduce something that you'd never had seen before or thought of before. And if we would have found out that, yeah, during New Caprica, the Cylons were dealing with X, mm-hmm. and there was a reason that they did certain things. And you're like, oh, that's why they did something. And it doesn't have to be an alien race or something like that. But I mean, there could have been something else. I think that would have made the plan intriguing because it would have been something new, not just 99% recycled material. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And the other thing which kind of is bothering me is that uh, because this is probably the last Battlestar Galactica movie we'll have, unless maybe, who knows, maybe sci-fi will want to pony up more dough to rake in more cash, but just things that we never quite find out the reasons for, like Starbucks role. Why was she so special to the Cylons? There was a specific interaction with her with one of the sixes on Caprica when she went to get to the arrow and six saw her and called her by name. And at the time, everyone was like, how does she know who she is? There's another scene on at that same episode where Sharon or Boomer or Athena, Athena, Athena says, yeah, Starbuck, the Cylons, you know, you're special. Right, right, right. Like she's, they specifically call her out and say, you're special. Mm-hmm. And that all of the Cylons, this is the other thing she said that was really compelling, is all of the Cylons know who you are. Mm-hmm. And you have to remember, Ron Moore posted on the Galactica pages after the Sopranos had their ending that he talked about that was perfect. I wish I could have thought of it first. And we're not here to discuss the end of Sopranos, but he liked that idea of we're not telling you an ending. And most people want an ending. You read a book knowing, I understand the characters continue on, but you want the end of a story. Right. And we did not get an ending with Starbuck, and they're happy with that. I mean, if you listen to the podcast, they talk about, they decided, we're just going to let you decide yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the contradiction in that is, it's one thing to abruptly end everything or to not tie any knots. Yes. On any of your storylines, that's one thing. And I think that's a very effective and interesting way to end a series or a story. And I think there are many examples of that where I think that's interesting and served the story or series well. But is another to go so far as to answer completely some story and plot lines and then to completely not answer to any level of satisfaction others. That seems incomplete and it seems sloppy, especially when the plot points that aren't answered are so central to the mythology of the show. And you know what? Your word sloppy is right on. I mean, that's it seems sloppy. It's not that I made a decision creatively that I'm going to do this. It just seems like sloppy storytelling. I, I like that a lot. If they were to do a Sopranos ending for the BSG, the place to have done it would have been the landing on Earth, the radioactive Earth, and then yes. the pan across. I mean, that was the one which conceivably almost could have been because of the writer's strike. That almost was their final episode, although they did have one episode after that um, in the can. I personally would have ended it at the moon. I would have rather have had, and here we are revisiting the finale, I would have <laughs> rather have had every plot point completely unanswered and have simply had the satisfaction of them fulfilling their destiny as a race, which is to return to Earth, right. and leave everything else a mystery, than to proceed as they had. Right. Because our story was the ragtag fleet looking for a place called Earth, right? Yeah. I mean, that was 
along with they have a plan, that was one of the main things. And so it could have, you're right, that could have been a very good ending. And you also would have left them wanting more. Well, you know, we can do movies now. We can see what's going on and have some opening. Who knows? Maybe they'll drive the Brinks truck to Ron Moore and we'll get to see (laughs) Dama visiting Apollo, you know, on the new earth and carrying spears or something. Speaking of the Adamas, I thought of one more thing about the plan, which seems now to not make sense to me. And that's, again, this goes back to the Razor webisodes. At the end of the webisodes, the Galactica is about to be decommissioned. And Doral comes up to him and makes a request to have Captain Adama join them on for the ceremonies or something. And at the time, we all made speculations about what could that mean? Why do they want to have all the Adamas on the ship? And it seemed like the Cylons were manipulating things. If that's the case, though, if the plan again was to destroy everyone in the Galactica included, that makes no sense. Why make the effort to put Captain Lee Adama on the ship if they're just going to kill everybody? And the same goes with the final five, really. I mean, that's the big flaw to me is why put a lot of effort to put almost all the final five, well, the majority of them, I guess there's three on the Galactica at the time. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Why? Okay, let's really quickly, since we mentioned Ron Moore and the big Briggs truck, Caprica. What are your hopes for Caprica? My hopes, like the plan, my expectations are so low for this show. I'm a very hopeful person. <laughs> I wanted to succeed. I enjoy the universe. I enjoy the arcana of it all. But I was not impressed with the story of Caprica. I really loved the production of Caprica, mm-hmm. but I did not like the story, and some of the acting was really crappy. And so if they don't fix that in the first couple episodes, I don't see it being renewed. I really like the two main actors. I have a lot of faith in both of those gentlemen. The things I liked in the movie was when you were talking about the background, the planet they were from. And so if they dwell more on that and life in the colony and the stuff. And I, and I don't say it should be L.A. Law in, you know, the Battlestar Galactica universe. But if they dwell on this kind of intrigue in it, I'm more interested than just the storyline about the grieving the death of their daughters mm. and creating these artificial lives wasn't interesting at all to me. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, I did say it sucked. <laughs> you know, I thought it was terrible. Right. I mean, I had to go back and watch the beginning when you're in the virtual party scene two or three times just to just make to myself the watch it. Just, no, just to see the that. movies. <laughs> <laughs> just because it, I wasn't interested at all mm-hmm. in the story and what they were trying to say. I like the idea of the school subversively supporting the idea of one God. And that's an interesting storyline. I just wish they had made the Cylon technology a minor part of the story to begin with. Mm-hmm. I wholeheartedly agree. I think what's going to be most interesting about the show and most disappointing for fans is that I don't think the target demographic is the Battlestar Galactica fan base. Right. I think that's the expectation of every fan, that this show is some kind of continuation for their benefit. But I think the producers of the show are trying to reach a different audience and in that way are going to fail to, I think, really satisfy and placate the diehard fan base. 
I'm not sure whether I'm going to like the new show or not. I'm worried on a different level and just in terms of its appeal to, like you said, that particular demographic, because I feel like the iron is no longer hot in terms of the BSG franchise. I think even in the radioactive ashes of the finale, I think a lot of people would have been interested to grab onto Caprica just to see something familiar they could hope would bring back some of the magic from the glory days. But it's been so long. And the plan was so disappointing. And if the show is dramatically different and in a way that's not appealing to people, I don't know if people are going to embrace it very much. And that could mean one season. Well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. I think you're right. I don't think there's going to be enough. And and I hope I'm wrong. There's not going to be enough excitement to get new fans. And I think the diehard BSG fans have moved on. You know, it would be really interesting is what could happen with the show is that the miniseries, the movie Caprica, is going to be fundamentally different in content than the shows itself. I wouldn't be surprised, for example, Jesse, if you make the very good observation that you had wished that the Cylon technology had played a, a smaller role. It would be very interesting that in the actual episodes themselves, the Cylon technology does play a backseat to the socio-political drama of another world and another culture. And the other thing which I kind of am worried about is 33 was the kickstart to the Battlestar Galactica series. It was the miniseries was awesome. 33 was the booster that launched it into the atmosphere. Many people said if they had to pick a favorite episode, people go to that first regular episode. It set the whole tone. I agree with you. I think you're very correct, Brian. There's been a lot of time. I mean, Warehouse 13, Dollhouse has started and died since this thing has gone off the air. We've got V, we've got Flash Forward. There's a lot of other things out there. And actually, Virtuality, which was the one-shot Ron Moore pilot, Virtuality came and went. And Virtuality had a lot of things in common with Caprica. And it makes me think that Ron Moore thought that Caprica was never going to happen. Yes. Okay, so I think that does wrap up this episode of Galactica Quorum where we talked about the plan. We will be talking about Caprica in the coming weeks. And don't forget, we have a new podcast starting, Geek Quorum. Please check that out on iTunes and the website geekquorum.com. The email for this and that podcast is gquorum at gmail.com. And our voicemail is 301-358-5175 and follow us on Twitter. Thanks again for joining us. The Jump Clock is running. We'll see you next time. Thanks for subscribing. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. There was a interview with the Lost guys mm-hmm. talking about the finale, and they specifically mentioned the Sopranos and the Shield and Battlestar Galactica. And they said that in the BSG had so much anticipation and so much weight that they said there was no way people could ever be happy with it. I think that's crap.
<laughs> I'm just telling I, you what they said. I, I hear you. I hear it. And okay. I'm saying, I'm saying, oh, save, we'll, it, we save, it, save it, save it, save it. Okay, we're saying it. Okay, I'll set up the volleyball and then you could just spike it down. <laughs>